The Iranians have captured a British oil tanker and they are holding it hostage. Bernie Sanders refuses to pay his campaign workers $15 an hour, even though he wants to force everyone in the country to pay $15 an hour. The police, all that's coming up, the police in Braintree, Massachusetts, have asked criminals to hold off on committing crimes during the heat wave and to wait until Monday to commit crimes. They suggest people stay in their air-conditioned homes and practice karate during the heat wave. Then they can resume their normal criminal activity on Monday when things cool down. I thought that was pretty funny. The Trump campaign is selling plastic Trump straws on their website. Yes, the Trump campaign is selling plastic straws with the word Trump on it. This is in response to liberal states, of course, banning plastic straws to help the environment. So the slogan here is make straws great again. See, apparently these alternative paper straws that are being used to replace plastic, uh, they're not usable. They're made of paper. Paper gets soggy. When you put paper in liquid, paper absorbs liquid. Plastic does not absorb liquid, but paper does. So the these straws, they get mushy and they disintegrate. You know, you know how as a child, maybe you tried to make a newspaper into a boat, like these newspaper boats folded into a boat, and then you'd put it in the bathtub and discover that paper is not waterproof, so it doesn't really work very well as a boat. That's what happens with these straws. President Trump was asked about plastic straws by a reporter, and here was his response. I do think we have bigger problems than plastic straws. You know, it's interesting about plastic straws. So you have a little straw, but what about the plates, the wrappers, and everything else that are much bigger, and they're made of the same material? So uh, the straws are interesting. Everybody focuses on the straws. There's a lot of other things to focus Everybody's focused on the straws. There's a lot of other things to focus on. The food is served on a plastic plate. The cups are covered with plastic lids. They use plastic utensils to eat the food, and it's usually sold in a plastic bag. But it's the straw. Everybody always picks on the straw. And look, I'm open to helping the environment. But it's always the thing that hurts the consumer the most and that barely helps the environment. Only one tiny, tiny fraction of the pollution is actually done by plastic straws. So it makes for a great headline. It doesn't interfere with these businesses too much, but a lot of people have to suffer. Uh, all right. Speaking of President Trump, he was asked by reporters if his feud with Elon Omar is a smart move politically and listen to this response. This really sums up President Trump. That this political feud that you're having with Congressman Omar and the rest of those Democrats in is a good thing politically for you, or do you think it turns people off? I don't know if it's good or bad politically. I don't care. But when people are speaking so badly, when they call our country garbage, think of that. That's worse than deplorable. When they call our country garbage, I don't care about politics. I don't care if it's good or bad about politics. Many people say it's good. I don't know if it's good or bad. I can tell you this. You can't talk that way about our country. Not when I'm the president. Uh, they're anti-Semitic. It's a disgrace. 
So there you go. He asked if it's a he's asked if it's a wise move politically for him to have this feud with Elon Omar. And what does he say? He says, "I don't know if it's a good move politically, and I don't care if they call the country garbage. I'm not going to allow that as long as I'm president." And this is how he approaches everything. He doesn't say to himself. He doesn't strategize with a bunch of people in a room. Should I tweet out that Omar should go back to her home country, or should I not? Is this a good move or a bad move? How's it going to affect me? That's not how he thinks. He thinks that this is wrong. Elon Omar is a bad person. She hates the country. She calls it garbage, and therefore he feels that he needs to respond because it's the right thing to do. It happens to be, I believe, this has helped him enormously politically because he's not like the other establishment politicians you know, who spend their whole lives looking at polls and focus groups before they announce what they're going to buy for breakfast that day. You know, That's not how President Trump operates. He was then asked about their First Amendment rights and listen to this clip. Uh, they have First Amendment rights to say what they want about our country. That's what the Constitution guarantees. Do you see not agreeing with you as the same thing as hating the country, sir? Yeah, they have First Amendment rights, but that doesn't mean I'm happy about them saying. Okay, so the question about the First Amendment rights is just bizarre because nobody's in interfering with their First Amendment rights. Trump didn't say that he's going to put them in jail because they disagree with him. As Trump himself said, they have First Amendment rights. Doesn't mean I'm going to be happy. You know, First Amendment doesn't guarantee that everybody's going to be happy with your opinion. But more importantly, think about, if you listen carefully to that reporter, he said, uh, just because they disagree with you, Mr. President, doesn't mean that they hate the country. And, excuse me, many, many, many people disagree with President Trump. I mean, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, the list goes on and on. A lot of Republicans disagree with a lot of President Trump's views. He doesn't tell them to go back to the country that they came from. It, it, here, it's way, way, way deeper and way more fundamental than just disagreeing with President Trump about tariffs and about the border wall. Uh, Elon Omar, she is full of hatred of vicious anti-Semitism, anti-Americanism, hatred, the comments she has made in, 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 in support of 9-11 and in support of Al-Qaeda is just, it's, it's reprehensible. And yet these reporters, they, they look at this as like President Trump pick, picking on this minority woman because she disagrees with him. Okay, the city of Berkeley, California is eliminating any reference to gender. From now on, the city will not refer to manholes as manholes. They're going to call them maintenance holes or person holes or, or something absurd. But no more manholes because manholes are named after a man. And that's, uh, that, that, that's chauvinist. So they're going to call them maintenance holes. They won't refer to things as man-made products anymore. Now it's going to be human-made products. Now why is human? The word human to me, I don't see why that's any better than the word man-made because clearly human comes from the word man. It's you man. It's not you woman. You know, uh, even the word woman has the word man in it. And I actually looked it up. The origin of the word woman comes from a, a phrase meaning the wife of man, woman. It became woman. It became shortened, but it meant wife of man. Female. Female has the word male in it. Every reference to females pretty much somehow compares them to males in one way or another. And, you know, by the way, notice that street, you know, the, the people are so anti female that street in idaho that we told you about that Peter was all upset about Peter, the animal rights group chicken dinner road it wasn't called rooster dinner road it was called chicken dinner road clearly discriminating against females the chickens and not 
the roosters. And what's really happening here is Berkeley, California, the liber extremely liberal city, so they think that if they change the language, they can somehow deny reality, which they find offensive and inconvenient. The fact that there are males and there are females, and they're, they're not all the same. Kamala Harris promises that if you want your doctor, you can keep your doctor with her plan Medicare for all. You just can't make it up. All I have to do is read the news. And it's just almost comical. So she also insists that she is not going to raise taxes on the middle class. Her Medicare for all plan will not raise taxes on the middle class. Now, Bernie Sanders, he admitted that it will raise taxes on the middle class. They're both co-sponsoring the bill in the Senate. They're co-sponsors on the bill. Bernie Sanders says it's going to raise middle class taxes. Kamala Harris says, no, don't worry, it won't. Now, who do you think has more credibility on this? The one who says that it will raise taxes, despite he, him having no incentive to lie, and in fact, it damaged him politically to admit that, or the one who says, no, don't worry, it won't raise taxes on the middle class, who has every incentive to lie about this. Now, Medicare for all will cost about $3 trillion a year. The current federal budget, the total budget is about $4 trillion a year. So Medicare for all will almost double federal spending. But Kamala Harris expects us to believe that it won't raise taxes on the middle class. Well, well where is she going to find the $3 trillion extra dollars a year. Is that all going to come from Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett? And look, Bernie Sanders, you know, he makes the point that uh, people are going to spend less money, presumably, on deductibles and on their monthly premiums because they're going to have free government health care coverage. So overall, a lot of people are actually going to spend less money even after it raises their taxes. Okay, fine. But it's going to have to raise their tax. Maybe it'll be a net gain. But Kamala Harris is saying she's not even going to raise the taxes on the middle class. I don't see how that's possible. Joe Biden was asked if with his plan, will pe people keep their doctors? And he says, no, he cannot promise. Joe Biden says, I cannot promise that under my health care plan, people will be allowed to keep their doctors. Now, last week, Biden promised that if you like your health care plan, you can keep your health care plan. He says, yeah, that's a guarantee. You'll be able to keep your health care plan. Uh, but he says, you may not be able to keep your doctor. It dep depends. Your doctor may leave the health care plan you're on. So those are not the same thing. Uh, now, uh, when Obama promised that under Obamacare, people who like their health care plan could keep their health care plan, that was actually voted the lie of the year. In 2013, that was PolitiFact's 2013 lie of the year. Obama saying, if you like your health care plan, you can keep your health care plan. All right, meanwhile, in the health care debate amongst the Democrat candidates, things are getting very ugly. And remember, we, we haven't heard as much from the Democrat candidates in the last couple of weeks. There is going to be a debate, I believe, July 30th in about 10 days. Going to be, again, two nights of debates, 10 uh, uh, candidates each night. And in August, I, su I suspect that we're going to hear a lot more from the Democrat candidates. There's been so much going on with the border crisis, with Iran, so many other issues. And then in August, of course, Congress takes their month-long recess. So at that point, there's a lot less coming out of Washington, D.C., thankfully. And then, of course, the spotlight will be on the Democrats and campaign 2020. But meanwhile, Beto O'Rourke and Joe Biden, they've been busy blasting Medicare for all, which will knock 180 million people off their private insurance. So uh, Beto, uh, Bill de Blasio has fired back at Beto O'Rourke and accuses him of lazy fear-mongering tactics. 
So essentially, there's this kind of internal struggle happening here in the Democrat Party. The Medicare for all socialist minded people like Bernie Sanders, who say uh, knock 180 million people off of health insurance, make everything government controlled. And then you have the slightly more rational Beta O'Rourke and Joe Biden who say it's not a good idea to knock 180 million people off their private health care coverage. So here's a tweet from Bill de Blasio um, against Beta O'Rourke, quote, if someone proposed a radical idea called public education today, Beta O'Rourke would try to warn us that 180 million Americans would be kicked out of their schools. Let's leave the lazy, fear-mongering tactics to Trump, end quote. There's your quote from Bill de Blasio. So a, a real personal attack there against Beta O'Rourke, uh, accusing him of lazy, fear-mongering tactics. What's de Blasio's argument? De Blasio is so wrong on this. What's his argument? He's saying, imagine if the uh, entire country were on a private education system right now, went to private schools, there was no public education system, and someone proposed, hey, let's make education government run, uh, then uh, Beto O'Rourke would be warning, how can you take 180 million children or whatever the equivalent would be out of private schools? Well, de Blasio, he's missing the point. That that would be catastrophic. The, the problem is, the, look how bad the education system is now, and it's been government-controlled from day one. The education system in, in the United States overall is a terrible system because it's government-controlled, because the, the teachers' unions, these lobbies, uh, the teachers' lobbies, which have all these politicians in their back pocket, you know, protecting essentially these mediocre teachers who, who don't know how to teach, you know, because they, they, they want to protect their salaries, essentially, and they throw the school children under the bus. But the point is, if it was privately run, it would be so much, private schools are run so much better than public schools for the most part. And if it were for profit, if you had, you know, Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett running the education system, it would be exponentially better than it is right now. And if then someone came along and said, yeah, but look, there's some people, kids being left out. So we have to, to have an entire government overhaul of the private system. The problem with de Blasio is that we don't have that private system, so there's nothing to speak of over here. But uh, that, Beto O'Rourke would be correct if he said, how can he knock 180 million people off of their private education system? But either way, you know, that's the back and forth. We'll keep an eye. Okay, so the Iranians have made good on their threat against the British in retaliation of the U.K. seizing an Iranian tanker that was delivering oil to Syria in breach of the EU sanctions. The Iranians have retaliated. They have captured a British tanker. They did this on Friday. The ship is known as the Stena Impero, uh, and uh, it was in the Straits of Hormuz. The Iranians actually stopped a second ship on Friday, a second tanker, but then they let that one go. This one was headed to Saudi Arabia, and the IRGC, they boarded this the, 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 this tanker, uh, this British tanker, and they hijacked it. They captured it, and presumably right now they are holding the crew captive. They took that whole thing, the tanker with its crew, into Iranian territory. And you know the most disturbing part of all this, obviously this conflict here is escalating, but the most disturbing part is that the mainstream media in the United States is essentially acting like Iran's propaganda state-controlled news agency. The Iranians don't need the state-controlled FARS Iranian news agency now because they have CBS and NBC, the mainstream media, doing their dirty work. Okay, so remember, in the last 
couple of in the last few weeks, the Iranians have shot rockets attacking four Saudi oil tankers. They attacked a Saudi pipeline. They shot down the U.S. drone, of course, the unmanned drone. They seized a tanker that they claim was smuggling Iranian oil. That was last week. They attempted to capture another British tanker last week, but they were fended off by the British Navy. And, of course, now this latest where they've actually kidnapped this crew and captured this ship. And the mainstream media is acting like it's tit for tat. I mean, the Iranians have literally kidnapped a British uh, naval crew, a naval vessel, uh, not naval vessel, I'm sorry, a, a British tanker vessel with its crew. And, you know, they've been stockpiling more uranium than the Obama nuclear deal allowed. They've been enriching uranium to a higher level than the deal allows. Uh, and by the way, the U.S. did shoot down an Iranian drone last week, but it's no comparison. The drone that was shot down belonging to the Iranians, you know, was a very, very simplistic, uh, inexpensive drone. The drone that was shot down by the Iranians, it was 30,000 feet in the air. It was basically like a mini Air Force jet. It, it cost $123 million. So clearly the Iranians here are the aggressors. President Trump has shown immense self-restraint. And, and, and by the way, President Trump has sent Rand Paul, the anti-war isolationist, you know, who's very pro-peace and anti-regime change, he sent them to meet with the Iranians. So uh, the Iranians, it, this is so lopsided, it's ridiculous. The Iranians have been the aggressors here for weeks, and President Trump has done nothing in return but be peaceful. And yet the media is bending over backward to defend the Iranians and give the Iranians a, a forum to spread their lies and propaganda. Here's a quote from Yahoo News. Quote, Javad Zarif, is Iranian's foreign minister, offered an olive branch to Mr. Trump, a deal which would see Tehran accept enhanced inspections of its nuclear program in return for the permanent lifting of sanctions. Wow, well, isn't that so gracious and magnanimous of Javad Zarif, the Iranian foreign minister, extending an olive branch? That's a quote from Yahoo News, extending an olive branch to President Trump. Wow, the Iranians, this peace-loving, innocent society, the victims, and, and Trump is the aggressor. So here you have the foreign minister, Javad Zarif, the murderer, the terrorist, the liar. He says... To CBS, the United States is in our territory. We didn't invade the Gulf of Mexico. They invaded the Persian Gulf. And, of course, he goes on challenge. He was on PBS. Uh, he says the sanctions are harming innocent people, innocent Iranian citizens. They want basic food supplies. All they want is to get medicine. And yet Trump sanctions make that impossible. They literally make Trump out to be a monster. And the Iranians are innocent victims in all this. You know, and the media is complicit. The media literally is complicit with this terror, gigantic terror group known as Iran who's committing these atrocities. And look, I was very torn. There was this uh, interview done by PBS's Judy Woodruff. And yeah, literally, it's so sickening. She, she allowed uh, this Zarif to just go on and on spewing this propaganda. And she just literally did not challenge him on anything. And I was torn whether or not to put it in the audio section, but I decided that it's so important for all of you, for the audience, if you're interested in hearing the Iranian tactics and hearing how guilty the media is, you know, it's important to hear that. And look, you're a very educated, you know, in addition to this hotline, you're a very educated audience. So I'm not telling you you should listen to it or not, but I did put it up there. I, it was a tough decision. I decided everybody needs to have the choice to see how these monsters are manipulating the public and how the liberals are feeding right into their hands. You know, the Iranians are enemies of Trump. 
This Javad Zarif gives the media exactly what they want, which is criticism of President Trump. So the media em embraces the Iranians over Trump. It's sickening. And by the way, it didn't used to be this way. You know, 40 years ago, uh, when the Cold War was happening, the Soviet Union, the mainstream media in the United States looked at the Soviet Union. They were not objective journalists when it came to the Soviet Union. They were pro-United States and anti-Soviets because the Soviets were evil. And it wasn't like the media felt like they needed to be in the middle. They were in the middle when it came to uh, American politics, Democrat versus Republican. But when it came to the evil empire, the Soviet Union, uh, the media was quite biased. And now it's gone the other way. Not only is the media uh, playing it in the middle here, but they're actually defending the Iranians. And look, I do just have to mention, of course, as a, a Yiddish show here, Yiddish program that we are, you know, it now is Bein HaMetzorim. And, you know, many have pointed out that it's a dangerous time of year. Obviously, it's a time of Sakana, Rahman al-Islam. It's a time that's, you know, Mesugal for Sakana. And in terms of world events and many tragedies that have taken place uh, during Bein HaMetzorim in the past, obviously we know, I don't have to explain, how, you know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu specifically chose this time of year to be a time of sakana, of danger. And, and look, it's all beyond Hashem. Of course, we need to daven that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has Rachmanus, you know, and that all these conflicts do subside without any harm being done. Chas But we do have to, of course, keep it in mind now. Very, very important. All right, on Friday, 3,100 inmates were released from prison or released from uh, halfway houses. Uh, as part of the First Step Act, the President Trump's tr criminal justice reform bill, and, and a lot of these people had already been released from prison, but they were under house arrest. They had ankle bracelets. They weren't allowed to leave their home. So many of them have been released and become completely free. But all, but all told, 3,100 inmates were released. So while a few have trickled out in the last few months, this is the first very large release. Now, the reason it happened Friday, this bill, of course, was launched in December. It was passed last year, and then it took effect last December. But many of the convicts needed to wait for technical reasons that had to be worked out. And this past Friday, it became official. Many of these convicts who have been released under the First Step Act are blacks or minorities. Many of them are drug offenders who are guilty of nonviolent offenses. And look, here's my issue. You know, President Trump is a big fan of this. Uh, the President Trump, the racist, all we've been hearing from the last for the last week is how much of a racist he is because he told Omar to go back to Somalia and he told Ocasio Cortez to go back to the Bronx. But uh, you know, the media, of course, buries this story and doesn't point out how President Trump essentially allowed more black ex more black convicts to be released from prison perhaps than Barack Obama. So much for the racist President Trump. But here's my issue, is that, look, uh, uh, it seems that a lot of these people who have been released, they got uh, jail sentences that were way too harsh to begin with. There are sentencing guidelines. Sometimes the judge is, is simply forced to put somebody in jail for years and years, even if it's not commensurate with the crime, if it's a nonviolent crime, you know, if it's not their first offense, there might be a lot of different factors. But sometimes the judge doesn't have any options. So, for example, there are low-level drug delivery people, people who just deliver drugs as part of a deal, who got the same sentence as a drug king kingpin, somebody in charge of the of the ring of selling drugs to thousands of people. You know, so so I I do I'm not saying that a person who delivers drugs, doesn't deserve to go to jail for many years. But 
you would think that they shouldn't have the same sentence as somebody who literally is in control of a drug ring and has thousands of dealers selling drugs to thousands and thousands of drug users. That doesn't make any sense. But again, according to some of the federal guidelines, that's what was forced to happen. The issue that I have here is that, look, uh, there are repeat offenders here who sold drugs. And that, to me, is a dangerous criminal. Anybody who's, I'm not talking about a drug user. Uh, I'm talking about people who sell drugs. Those are dangerous, evil people. So the question is now they're releasing them from prison. They're saying that they're reformed. They're saying they're they're going to get a job and, you know, uh, they're going to have an upstanding life. They're not going to return to crime. The problem is if if any of these people now go back to selling drugs or let's say they do commit a violent act, let's say they're not able to make money, let's say they do murder somebody or return to a life of crime, then that's going to be plastered all over the headlines. Obviously, that's a bad situation to begin with, but also think of the headlines here. A convict released by President Trump's bill murders innocent people. You know, that could be disastrous for President Trump politically. So, again, I do think that a lot of these people deserve a second chance or a third chance or whatever, but it is a big risk politically and also morally. And I'm not saying it's not a good idea, but I'm just pointing out the risk here that we have to keep an eye on. Okay, Bernie Sanders, his campaign workers have been demanding a living wage. They've been demanding $15 an hour for months, and the Bernie Sanders, the Sanders campaign has been resistant. Bernie Sanders has pledged that he will force every business in the country to pay workers $15 an hour, a living wage, if he becomes president. Uh, So much for Bernie Sanders, the socialist, so much for his ideology. I think every business owner in the country should pay a living wage, except for me. And look, we see politicians use tax loopholes all the time that they're against. You know, Bernie Sanders doesn't pay nearly as much in taxes. He's a multimillionaire. He doesn't pay nearly as much in taxes as he wants millionaires to pay. And I can, I'm can i willing to give them a pass on that. Joe Biden actually used a tax loophole. He saved $500,000 in taxes. There was a, a tax that he could have qualified for, but he used a tax loophole, which he himself opposed under Obama. And uh, that tax loophole saved him a certain tax on the wealthy that he was able to avoid because he, he turned his entity into a certain company, gave himself a certain salary, whatever the technical part is. And uh, he saved half a million dollars in taxes. Not that he would have paid taxes on half a million in income. He actually saved $500,000. That would have been the tax that he paid. That's a staggering number. And I'll let him. I'm okay with that. You know, I think he should have, you know, done the right thing if he believes that avoiding loophole. But he's going to say, look, that's not going to make a dent. He's going to say we have to close up tax loopholes for the country. But one taxpayer paying extra taxes is not going to change government spending overall. Okay, fine. But this is a whole different story because these are your workers. These are your employees. You can improve their lives. These are real people. Bernie Sanders wants to improve people's lives and help fight for the little guy. And here he is, the multimillionaire, refusing to pay his own workers $15 an hour. It's inexcusable. And it's equally inexcusable that the media is ignoring the story because it doesn't play into their narrative of their hero, Bernie Sanders, the socialist. Meanwhile, last week, the House passed a bill that would raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. I doubt it'll go anywhere in the Senate. But this bill would destroy between 1.5 million and 3 million jobs uh, by forcing businesses to pay $15 an hour, and it would crush businesses, which is pretty much 
the strategy here. That's what the Democrats want to do. They want to crush businesses. That's what they did un- under Obama for eight years. Uh, Mitch McConnell was on Fox, the Fox Business Network. He was asked about raising the debt ceiling, and here was Mitch McConnell's response. Well, we raised the debt ceiling because America can't default. I mean, that would be a disaster. Uh, we are spending more than I would like to, but I don't get to ignore the House. The president doesn't get to ignore the House. And look, Mitch McConnell has done a lot of good things, especially with the judges. He's been a big supporter of President Trump. But this classic Washington establishment logic, well, of course, we're going to raise the debt ceiling because otherwise we'll default and we can't default. So that's the logic. We can't default. Defaulting is not an option. So we have to raise the debt ceiling because otherwise we're going to default. Well, if you keep raising the debt ceiling and borrowing more money, all that does is this create this vicious cycle and make it worse and worse. And we keep borrowing and spending and borrowing and spending. Well, of course, we're going to then have to uh, raise the debt ceiling and borrow more because we can't default. Well, where does it all end? It doesn't end. It just keeps on going. Hopefully, it ends well, but it's getting pretty precarious at this point. And look, Mitch McConnell, he says that, listen, we have to deal with the Democrats. Listen to this next clip. We don't control the whole government, and therefore, we will have to allow more spending on the domestic side in order to get a bill through the House than we would like. So Mitch McConnell saying, look, I don't like all this spending, but I don't have a choice because we don't control the House and the Democrats are going to force us here and we have to come to an agreement with the Democrats. Number one, they could fight for it. They could shut down the government again and demand that the Democrats uh, not raise spending, which they increase spending, which they keep on doing. Number two, when uh, the Republicans were in control of the House and the Senate, they still increased spending. There was a $1.3 trillion spending package last year, which was loaded with wasteful spending. And furthermore, it wasn't even done with the conservatives. What happened was the conservatives refused to vote for it in the House. So the Democrats joined with the Republicans. Republicans joined with moderate Democrats to pass the bill. It was moderate Republicans, moderate Democrats, and then it went to the Senate. So even when he's saying, well, it's not our fault the Democrats control the House. Well, they were borrowing money and, and spending more money than they needed to even when the uh, Republicans controlled the House and the Senate. Well, he said to me, well, they needed 60 votes. They still needed the Democrats in the Senate. Well, cut a deal with a few senators and at least fight. I have not heard a single Republican other than Rand Paul. Rand, Rand Paul, he will actually stop these these bills as much as he can as a single senator and, and, and say we have to balance the budget. But he's the lone voice. And not a single Republican ever fights to lower spending. So they'll go and blame the Democrats, but it's pretty convenient. But they clearly like spending, too. And we will see the the, the debt ceiling fight here in the next few weeks before October. Okay, many Jewish groups have responded to Elon Omar's sickening, outrageous BDS resolutions. I want to read you some quotes. The Israeli-American Coalition for Action Executive Director Joseph Sabag. Again, Executive Director of the Israeli-American Coalition for Action. Here, uh, for Action. Here's a quote. And, and look, I don't agree with all the people I'm about to quote you on every issue, but this is one issue. I think they say it very well, so I want to bring you know tell you their quotes. Quote, it's unconscionable that a member of Congress would so casually make use of cheap lies and delegitimizing propaganda. Congresswoman Omar has expressed the most vile anti-Semitism, her use of this resolution to slander Israel and intentionally promote the misrepresentation of laws enacted across the country to prevent national origin discrimination are entirely illegitimate. Uh, Sarah Stern, who is the founder and president of the Endowment for Middle East Truth, she says Omar's words are patently ludicrous, quote, The boycott of Nazi Germany came about as a response to the Nazi boycott of Jewish businesses. 
Nazi Germany was a hate-infested authoritarian regime that sought to exterminate every last remaining Jew from the face of the earth, and the Soviet Union was a despotic, repressive regime that contained a heavy dosage of anti-Semitism. Ironically, the BDS movement is based upon the very same ancient hatred, the anti-Semitism that laid at the heart of the heinous ideologies of Omar's analogy. If the BDS movement was really about trying to help Palestinians, they would not shut down operations such as SodaStream, which employed scores of Palestinians in the West Bank. Roz Rothstein, the CEO of Stand With Us, she's a daughter of Holocaust survivors, quote, these comparisons tarnish the legacy of historical movements for justice by associating them with a campaign of hate. It is said that someone who has been a target of bigotry herself is promoting a global boycott aimed at ending Israel's existence. Uh, the Republican Jewish Coalition, here's a quote by their spokesman, Neil Strauss, quote, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, when people criticize Zionists, they mean Jews. You're talking anti-Semitism. That's a quote from Martin Luther King. They, they, they call themselves anti-Zionists, but they're really anti-Semites. Quote, to make her support of the BDS movement even more reprehensible, Omar compares Israel to the pure evil genocidal Nazi and Soviet regimes. This will only end when the Democrat Party stands up to Elon Omar and her friend's hatred. Unfortunately, Congressman John Lewis has chosen to join Omar rather than stand up for human dignity, a trait he has known for his entire life. This does not bode well for the idea that the Democrats will find their moral bearings. Meanwhile, Cory Booker has clarified his remarks about Louis Farrakhan, the vicious anti-Semite. Last month, Cory Booker insinuated that he would be open to meeting with Louis Farrakhan, and he said a lot of his neighbors in Newark are followers of Louis Farrakhan, but then he was asked today if he'd be willing to meet with Louis Farrakhan, and he said categorically, unequivocally, he will not meet with Louis Farrakhan, so good for Cory Booker. And finally... Uh, the states of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut have filed a lawsuit against President Trump over the cap on what they call SALT tax deductions, SALT, S-A-L-T, the state and local tax deductions. Remember, President Trump's tax cuts place a cap on the deductions that a person can take on state and local taxes. So they can deduct a maximum of $10,000 in state and local income taxes when they're paying their federal taxes. So uh, the states of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut claim that they're doing this. Trump did this to punish the blue states. It's a vendetta against the blue states. So they are suing, saying that it's illegal. And it's completely false. The reason that President Trump, I'm sure President Trump doesn't mind uh, in making the blue states suffer, but it's really because the federal government loses money. Because what happens is people in blue states, they pay their tax money to the blue states, state and local income taxes, and then that money doesn't go to the federal government. Meanwhile, red states like Florida and Texas don't have any income tax, so they're not getting any money in income tax revenue, and yet uh, their citizens are also paying money to the federal government in terms of tax dollars. Then it gets split evenly. So essentially, uh, you know, New York and California get an equal share in federal funding as do Florida and Texas, and yet New York and California are double dipping because they're also getting the uh, state and local taxes, and then that money gets gypped to the federal government. So if you do the math, all this does is try to even and level the playing field, even though it's the, 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 the blue states still come out ahead because there's a cap at 10000 but they're still able to deduct up to $10,000 in state and local income taxes. It's not like they made the money completely non-deductible. Okay, that's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.